Good morning. This morning, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 145, verses 1 through 8. And we're also going to read from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. You want to keep on reading. (laughs) And we will in Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning I want to talk about... Progress and joy in the faith. It's right there in the text where Paul says that to the Philippians. And this makes us think of the the impetus of the gospel message. The momentum of the message of the gospel is to build a community from all nations that reflects the nature of the king, Jesus. See, Jesus builds a community by dying for those who would be its citizens. Ephesians 2.13 tells us, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You see, Christ builds the community through a life-giving death. And now the people of the kingdom are to be like their king. But our struggle, our struggle is is with the American context where joy and and happiness is about your personal, individual progress. And however, this has the opposite effect of as personal pursuits of joy often leave us feeling depleted. Energy is expended, but you feel like you're going nowhere. 
Harvard professor Arthur Brooks writing in the Atlantic earlier this year, he says this about, about success and, 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 its, and its addictive power. He writes, success is Sisyphian, Sisyphian. Sisyphus was a Greek, it's a Greek myth. So he, he, he was punished uh, by having to push this boulder up a hill and it would roll back on him. And, you know, so that was, that was his punishment for, for being self-absorbed. <laughs> That's my paraphrase. But, yeah, so, so it's a task, it's a task that's never completed. The goal is never satisfied. It can't be satisfied. Most people never feel, Brooks writes, successful enough. The high only lasts a day or two, and then it's on to the next goal. Psychologists call this the hedonic treadmill in which satisfaction wears off almost immediately, and we must run on to the next reward to avoid the feeling of, failing, of falling behind. And he goes on to say, American culture valorizes overwork, which makes it easy to slip into a mindset that can breed success addiction. See, he's talking about what is progress, our progress, and, and, and the work that, that progress, that, that, that we pursue it in a personal way, and it doesn't satisfy. And if this is true, and I believe that Brooks' analysis is right, you know, then our culture is not aiding us. And this is a real problem. It's a real, it's a real problem because it's, it's the reason behind marital breakdown and, and breakups. It's, 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 it's what drives drug addictions. It's what, it's what feeds sexual identity crises. It's what, it's, it's, it's what depression thrives in and, and suicide arises out of it. So it doesn't aid us in making progress in joy in the faith. What is the Christian to do? The Christians are the ones who ought to understand what progress and joy and faith means and, and how it is achieved. And the Apostle Paul here in our text shows us here in our scripture reading, he says that from our text what we, what we see is that progress in joy and faith, we need a conviction that calls for conduct worthy of the gospel while contending in unity as it considers its privilege. So think about this. Conviction. A conviction. In verse 25 and 26, Paul says this. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So what's the conviction? Well, so the word conviction here, it literally means to make friends with. So what is Paul, what does he make, what is Paul making friends with? Well, Paul, he has this tension and he has this struggle to reconcile. And, and then verse 21 through 24, we see it. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So what's the conviction? Paul, see, Paul is convinced that he should give up his right 
to please himself. See, and what a a thing. Paul is surrendering what personally would be a more pleasurable thing to go and to be with Christ, the the gain of death. He chose instead to do a more necessary thing. And that word necessary means uh, what the bond of friendship in these circumstances required. And it's something for their progress and joy in the faith. So he makes friends with this idea. He makes friends with this idea. He calms the inner storm he's having with the, with the tranquilizer of their progress and joy. I mean, what an, what an amazing counterintuitive attitude that the outcome, that the outcome of his struggle. No, what do I do? I do you know, they're both good things to live as Christ, to die as gain. Both good things. But what do I do? You know, so. I will live on. I will live on because it's more needful for you. See, that's the kind of conviction that builds the community of the kingdom. Service that isn't out to please itself is what's at the center of Christ's community. Where do you suppose the apostle learned this? It's the message of the gospel. He learned this from the gospel of of, of Jesus Christ. Because early on in Paul's letters, as he writes to the Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he would write in in the book of Romans, Romans 15, verses 1 to 3, where he says, We who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. You see, that's the message. He learned it from Christ. It's the gospel message. So here's the question. Are you convinced? Are you convinced That giving up the right to please yourself is best for Christ's community? That to reflect the king, you have to make friends with this truth. Settle that storm in your heart. Since this conviction will determine if you're making progress in the joy of the faith. Especially since the call is to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Verse 27 says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, that word con- conduct, is, is, that's, it's a word that, that, mean, that has to do with being a citizen. So citizenry, you know, is, it's the act of conforming to the laws of the land. Now, if you've immigrated, if you've immigrated to another country, you desire to be a citizen, you have to learn the laws and and you have to take an oath uh, confirming and stating that you will follow the laws. And when you when you do this, you become a citizen. See, Paul is saying the gospel of Christ is our homeland. Hallelujah. Conform to the laws of the of the kingdom. Act like you know your home country. <laughs> that is the kingdom of Christ for which you have been purchased. See, whatever happens, he says, whatever happens, act like a citizen obeying the gospel. Now, what's he talking about? 
Well, you know, Paul's in jail. He's a Roman citizen. And he, so it's, it's particularly noteworthy for the Philippians. He's relating to them. He's, the, the, the Philippians, they were, they were Roman citizens. And to see what the outcome of Paul's troubles would be since if, if, if it could happen to Paul, a Roman citizen, it could happen to them. But notice that Paul says, whatever the outcome is, whatever the outcome is, act like you are a citizen of heaven bearing the gospel. What does that, what does that mean? Well, well, so what's consistent, what's consistent with the gospel? In a word, unity. Because this is what he says in verse 27, the latter half. Verse 27 and 28, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. See, Paul draws a uh, on a picture of, of the Roman army, of the Roman military and, and its unity. And the, and the Philippi would be, they would be familiar with this. And he says, so contend, that's a term for fighting. It's a term for fighting. And in the army, you know, soldiers are tested. Right, in, in, in our army, the soldiers are tested to see which, which area they, should, they are best suited for. There's our, whether it's, the, it's, it's infantry, engineers, or artillery, the armored division. These are all needed. And, and there are support corps that, that surround them, like medical and, and transport, intelligence, signal, and, and aviation. So the army, it's, yeah, it's, there's diversity in the military, yet they are a unit. All are, are expected to fulfill their assigned role in order for the mission to be a success. They contend together. And Paul says, Paul is saying, whatever happens, fight as one. Whatever happens with the coronavirus, fight as one. Whatever, whatever happens with racial tensions, you know, so, so you're Korean, you're Japanese, you're, 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 you're Ukrainian, you're, you're Puerto Rican, you're Cuban, you're German, you're Irish, you're Cameroonian, you're Ghanan, you know, whatever happens, whatever, whatever the ra- whatever the outcome of the racial tensions, fight is one. Whatever happens with the partisan political divides, fight as one. Whatever happens, we are to to maintain our unity above all else since it is consistent with being a citizen of the homeland of the kingdom. So we have to ask ourselves these questions in days like the ones in which we're living. What, What are you willing to lose in order to keep the unity of the faith? And how important, how important is this unity? Well, verse 28 goes on, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. How important is this unity? Well, it's a sign to the opposition. The opposition, those who don't believe, those who don't believe the gospel, those who don't obey the gospel, it's a sign to them that they will be destroyed. Isn't that hard? You hear what the Bible is saying? 
that their, their unity against God, it's their undoing. But unity through and, and in the gospel is evidence that we are saved by God. So let me ask you again, what are you willing to lose in order to keep the unity of the faith? Because anything that you hold dearer than unity for the faith of the gospel is a hindrance to the progress of joy in the faith. So contending for the faith of the gospel as one is is how we measure that we are making progress in the joy of the faith. So do you see do you see how the the momentum of the gospel message is, is to build the kingdom of Christ's community? Do you see how the people of of the kingdom give up the right to please yourself, knowing that the call is to conduct yourself like a citizen of the kingdom as you contend in unity for the faith of the gospel. That seems like something improbable, doesn't it? Because what a community to live in. If you live in a community like that, what, what, what a gift. Because <laughs> yeah. who lives like that? You can't do it on your own strength because it's not, it's, not the way we, it's not the way we normally think. You won't experience it as progress and joy in the faith unless you give yourself to the Lord unreservedly, understanding the privilege. So otherwise, whatever happens, it'll overwhelm you. Yeah, those, 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 whatever circumstances, they, they will overwhelm you. And, and otherwise, you know, you, you aren't pressing the fight. The fight's coming to you. The Christians are the ones pressing the fight. The fight would be coming to you. And that, that fight, it's relentless in its pursuit to destroy you. Those who oppose the gospel and the pull of the culture, it's so seductive that it will pull you in unless you consider the privilege. Verse 29 and 30 says this, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. See, Paul says, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe on him, but also to suffer for him. That's a turn of things. What a turn. So, so we have been given grace, because that's what that word, that's what that word is, the word for grace, that word granted. We have been given grace to believe on Christ who suffered for us and to enjoy the benefits from, of this faith in him. <clears throat> Relief from guilt. The burden of sin gone. The power of sin broken. The promise of a, of a new heaven and a new earth where sin is gone completely. But the pastor says, yeah, to we're enjoying the benefits of this faith in him. But we have been given grace to suffer for him. See, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to have had Christ suffer for you. It is a privilege to suffer for Christ. Consider it, Paul says. See, before faith in Christ, our suffering didn't have meaning, it seems. Philosophers and religions have wrestled with that for first centuries. They struggled with that, you know, to find meaning in suffering. 
Only, only in Christianity, only in Christianity are we told that our sufferings has meaning and value and it's because of Christ. See, we benefit from his suffering on our behalf in salvation and in our suffering, we are preserved in peril. Because that is, that, is, that is what that word granted means. We're preserved in peril. That's, that's the, so isn't that a beautiful picture? We're preserved in peril on behalf of Christ. We've been given this grace. What a gift. You think of, of, the, of the Hebrew children, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace. They're preserved in peril, not from peril. Daniel in the lions, and he's preserved in peril, not from peril. It's not deliverance, but it's perseverance. So Christian, do you count your, your suffering as Christ's sufferings? That's what, this is what Paul is saying. Do you count your sufferings as Christ's sufferings? That's what the scripture is calling, is is telling us. God has granted it. So the pandemic and its pains are things we suffer for Christ. The injustice we suffer at the hands of others are things we suffer for Christ. The illness we bear in our bodies are illnesses we bear for Christ. The loss of our rights that we suffer are losses for Christ. And you know how God, you know how God, what God does with those? Romans 8, 17 tells us this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God or and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And then 2 Timothy tells us this. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. You see, what Paul is saying, that the the child of God, in James' words, can count it all joy when they fall into various trials. Because they're not just yours, they're Christ's. And God gives us the privilege of this grace to demonstrate to us his greatness. What we read in Psalm 145, that verse 8, is such a good verse. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Because what we struggle with all the time is whether or not God is good. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Hallelujah. So you see, friends, our, our joy in Christ is bound up in a serving community. You know how Arthur Brooks ended that article in, in, in the Atlantic? He says, he talks about getting off that hedonic treadmill and, and breaking up the addiction success. He suggests that what we need is, is to give ourselves in relationships of love. He writes, the last step is to find the right metrics of success. In business, people often say you are what you measure. If you measure yourself only by the worldly rewards of money, power, and and prestige, you'll spend your life running on the hedonic treadmill and comparing yourself to others. I suggested better metrics in the inaugural, said the column he writes, how to build a life. Among them, faith, family, and friendship. I also included work, but not work for the sake of outward achievement. Rather, it should be work that serves others and gives you a sense of personal meaning. 
Success in and of itself is not a bad thing any more than wine is a bad thing. Both can bring fun and sweetness to life. But both become tyrannical when they are a substitute for instead of a complement to the relationships and love that should be at the center of our lives. You see what he's advocating? Community. The relationship and love that that we need to continually help each other to take in at the center of our lives is the love of our king, Jesus. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And Jesus did for us what the bond of friendship in those circumstances required. He being found in the appearance as a man, Paul writes, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So are you feeling alone in your pursuit of joy in the faith? The progress and joy in the faith can't be made on a purely individual basis. It has to be made in a community where gospel value is expressed in the loving labor of people serving the Lord as they serve each other. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, how profound is your love for us? How good you are to us. Lord, we, we pray that you would, by your spirit, continue to press these values that you have given to us by your spirit into our body, Lord, into this community. Sustain us by your grace for the glory of your name. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.